Well, the virus is up and people are staying home and we will keep going. We just plan on keep going. We'll just see what happens and keep going, right? If I get sick, somebody else will step in my place and if they get sick, we'll just keep going. Lord willing, right? Uh, today I'm finishing a series that I started actually a couple months ago on the nature of love in 1 Corinthians 13. And part of what I've tried to show is that I believe that 1 Corinthians 13 is the applicational high point of the book. In other words, that everything else in the book is rooted in a failure to love. As the Apostle Paul struggles with the issues in the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 13 is the solution for all of those struggles. That, that all are either failures in loving God or failures in loving others. And, and so, as I understand Scripture and, and Jesus' words that the two great commandments are to love God and love others as yourself, then all of the spiritual life is centered on what it means to love. And, and it therefore makes a lot of sense to me that we need to understand what love is better. And, and it's not the sentimentality and the squishy, gooshy, goofy stuff that we hear in our society today, right? Hallmark card Christ, uh, love or, or romance novel love or, you know, wh- wh- however you would characterize it. Surely the love of the Bible is something much more powerful. In fact, the word that keeps coming to me is it is a ferocious love. It is a love that overwhelms and overcomes. It is a love that is so powerful that God uses it to summarize the very nature of his relationship to us and the calling he has for us in our lives. So as we've walked through these attributes of love, especially beginning in verse 4, what we've tried to see is, is how is this different from the love that we so often hear about in the world in which we live. So we started out with safe attributes, patient, kind. Those are ones that most people would assume love does. We, even in our society, understand that if you love me, you ought to be patient with me. Now, how much of that implies I need to be patient with you is up for debate. But, but we all understand that. And in fact, kindness has in many ways become the ultimate, the ultimate aspect of our society and what we expect to be good. We, we have made kindness uh, kind of the quintessential attribute of goodness in our society, even when it's foolish. Um, but it's a part of love, right? Uh, patience, kindness, not jealous, uh, not rude. You go through those attributes and those are attributes that most people that you meet in your jobs and in your neighborhood would agree. Let me make a couple of points that I probably should have made earlier on. And that is, um, there are limits even to biblical love. For instance, because there's a hierarchy in biblical love. If, if, if you say, if you love me, you will leave your faith in God, then my love for God transcends my love for you, Right? There is, a, there is a hierarchy there. There's an expectation that certain love is, is so significant that it's more serious. An, another place that I've encountered that is, is if your love for me or my love for you should never outrank my love 
for my family, my spouse, my children. There is, we all intuitively and through biblical truth understand that I made a vow to Julie. I didn't make a stinking vow to all of you. So she, she not that my vow to her was stinking. She may be watching. But the, the, she was here last night, so I don't know how much she could stand. But the, the, the reality is that, that we have an intuitive sense that there are appropriate limits to love, right? That where other loves are greater. And um, we have to be careful that we don't presume on other people uh, in ways that it conflicts with those greater loves. You know, the, the apostles, when confronted by court, said, am I to obey God or you? In other words, they signified that the love of God is a more significant love when then it comes to the love of others. And, and so there are certain limits on love that are expressed. One of the guys that came last night, I, I was talking to people. It's a smaller service. We have a lot of fun. We have question and answer. It's a hoot. And, but after the service, one guy just kept standing there. As so I was talking to other people, and I finally thought, I think he wants to tell me something. And um, he's an ex-professional football player. He's a big guy, and he was kind of standing there. And so I walked over, and he says, I got a story. I got a story. I got to tell you this story. I said, okay, fine. He says, I have a friend who's an Aggie. He's a former student. He's one of those. You know what I mean? I said, yes, I know exactly what you mean. He said, he was babysitting. I, see, I notice I talk too fast for that silly whoop thing. But he said I, he was babysitting his four grandsons. And he said, it normally goes swimmingly well, but the oldest grandson was seven. And he just misbehaved so badly that granddad had to, that he just had to step in and, and discipline him. And, and so the, the, if you're a grandparent, you know, children are especially hurt when grandparents discipline them because we're supposed to be the sugar daddies, right? And so he said, grandson went to his bed and pulled his sheets up over his head to signify just how deeply disappointed in his grandfather's love. And it was quiet for a minute. And then in an ultimate act of rebellion, he saw this come out from under the covers. <laughs> See, there are limits to love, right? <laughs> Isn't that great? A seven-year-old would know, I'm going to get granddad good with that one. I, I don't know, I just... I would have worked that into the sermon today no matter what the sermon was on. It just was such a glorious story. In fact, afterwards, people said, is that true? You preachers make stuff up. It really is a true story. And it, it illustrates that there are certain limits to love, right? Um, um, but as you read this list, as you read 1 Corinthians 13, what becomes overwhelmingly true is that the love that's described here is is spectacularly different from the love that we hear about in our world. And, and it is a love, the more you understand it, the more you long to be loved in this way. Because it's ultimately the love of God. So let me read for you again the list, starting with verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy, it's not boastful, it is not proud, it doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it doesn't even keep record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, 
hopes all things. And today, love endures all things, and love never ends. Love never ends. Love always continues. Most of us have heard at one time in our life that one of the greatest disappointments you'll have in your life is you come to realize how few friends you really have. You know, when you're young, you have many friends. And, but over time, what you discover is many of those friends fall away. And sometimes legitimate. They move away. You lose contact. But oftentimes, when things get hard, they disappear. And, and there are few hurts quite like that one. And the reason for that is we are programmed to long for faithful love. It, it, is, it is one of the most basic needs each of us has. To, to know that there are people that love us in a way that it will endure no matter what the difficulty and that it will never fail. We're programmed for that. It, it's, it's a part of the way God has made us. And the reason we need it so much is because it reflects the love of God. Um, step back with me and think about the gospel. The gospel is that we were born dead in sin, spiritually separated from God because of our sin. And that, that we live that out in the course of our lives. We demonstrate our inability to be obedient to God throughout our lives, right? And, and the Christian gospel is that God loved us so much that he sacrificed his son to pay the price for our sins and was resurrected on the third day. And that the only means that you and I can experience that forgiveness, that new life, is simply to place our faith and hope in him. That it is the work of our salvation is absolutely and solely dependent on what he has done for us. You know what that means? It's secure. You know what the problem with the work salvation, the salvation that most of the world holds to, that, that you, you gain God's pleasure by being good? It's never secure. Because all of us fail, right? And none of us lives up to the standard even that we hold other people to. You know, we feel amazingly comfortable gossiping about how other people gossip. It is just a part of who we are that, that we don't live up to the very standard we hold others to, much less the standard that God holds us to. So that the reality is if you live in a work salvation and you're honest with yourself, in the darkness of night you have to admit I can never be secure that I'm loved by God. Because how will I know when I die and face him that he won't look at me and say, sorry, didn't make it. But God's love is based on his promise. And therefore, it's faithful no matter what. It always endures. It will never fail so that my salvation isn't dependent on how good I am. It is dependent solely on my willingness to embrace the salvation he offers through Jesus Christ so that I can always be secure in his love. What an amazing idea. 
That no matter how much I disappoint myself, my friends, my spouse, much less my children, and no matter how much I fall short of the standards that we all hold to, because God has paid the price and because his love is rooted in his promise, I can always know that I'm loved. And he has so equipped us for that need so that we'll turn to him. So that that's the love we long for from others as well. I'm absolutely convinced that God has made us with a a wiring, a neediness for the gospel so that all of society reflects the nature of the gospel. And one of the ways we're wired is we long for a kind of love we can always depend on. We, We ache to have those friendships that will always be there. We we yearn for love that endures no matter how big a knucklehead we can be for, for love that doesn't fail. Because he's made us for his love and, and desires for us to reflect that love and the love we have for others and the love we experience from others. Isn't that a powerful idea? Isn't that a powerful idea? And it's powerful because Apart from Christ, it's so unnatural. It is so very unnatural. We intuitively have an attitude with people. Yeah, you were nice yesterday, but you you aren't nice today. Um, I've told you many times, the first thing Julie and I did after we married was buy a child care center. It equipped me to be a pastor. It was perfect training. Um, we had no idea what we were doing. We were 22 and 23 at the time. <laughs> and, and we had 65 kids and eight employees, and we moved to a little town, had no idea what we were doing. And, and Julie had 11 two-year-olds all day by herself in a room. That's when I knew she walked on water, you know what I mean? And, and the kids were happy. They loved it. it she, she, she married a two-year-old. She understands them. And, and one of the things that a two- or three-year-old will say is, because your children have said this, you're not my friend anymore. You're not my friend anymore. Um, and from a two-year-old, it's funny. But, but it's tragic that it's so true in so much of life, isn't it? When you lose social standing, maybe you mess up. There are so many ways that we can experience that sense that while people don't say it, they've marked us off their friendship list. And, and God has wired us to need relationships we can depend on. God has shaped us to need those kind of relationships. So let's look at the words real quickly that are used in this and see how they're used in the rest of Scripture. Um, First, love never fails. I mean, love always endures. Uh, The word endures is very, very similar to the word that he used at the first of verse 7, that bears all things. It is is a word that implies that it, it, it keeps going in the midst of hardship. Uh, we know that because of the way it's used. Uh, Hebrews 12, 2 uses the same word. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Excuse me, that's 
King James. I've memorized in three or four different translations, so when I quote, it's a, it's a hodgepodge. Just, just go with me here. Uh, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that set before him, he what? He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our model for love that endures is the endurance of Christ on the cross. Our model for love that endures is the endurance of Christ on the cross. What did Jesus endure? He taking the form of a servant, he emptied himself, although being in the very form of God. He he lived a life as a man of sorrows. He was he was beaten, and ultimately on the cross died an agonizing death, but more significantly was separated from God the Father because he took our sins upon us. That's what it means by he endured the cross. Same word when it says here that love endures. That See, the, the example of what love is to look like is always ultimately personified in the cross because the greatest expression of love is the person of Christ hanging from the cross. Throughout this series, I've tried to show how these commands for love in chapter 13 shape the rest of the book. And all the word endure is not used necessarily in the rest of the book. Let me show you how the idea comes across. I think his idea of enduring love is the definitive characteristic of love that's seen in his description of marriage in 1 Corinthians 7. For instance, verse 10, to the married I give this command, I not, not I but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. And down in 39, a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies she is free to marry someone, anyone she wishes, but she must belong to the Lord. In my judgment she'd be happier if she stays single. When you read chapter 7, And his description of love, the underlying principle of it is that, excuse me, his principle of marriage is that marriage is intended by God to endure. That God's intention for marriage is that it's not something I do as long as it's happy, as long as it's easy, as long as it's comfortable. That God's intention for marriage is that it endures. Now, I understand one person can't make a marriage last. I, I, I'm not beating anyone up here. But, but, but the, the point of it is that we all have intuitively a sense that the desire of God is that the love of marriage be something we can depend on for the rest of our lives. And, and any divorce is a failure, right? It's a failure of the marriage vows. It's, it's, a, it's a brokenness that comes because we don't live up to what we hoped and desired. So that you see his command that love endures shapes his description of marriage in 1 Corinthians 7. Because as I pointed out, it's, it's 1 Corinthians 13 that is the foundation of all of the commands of the book of 1 Corinthians. Um, the same word, interestingly, is used in 2 Timothy 8, uh, 2. There aren't eight chapters in 2 Timothy 
um, 2, verses 8 through 10. Remember Christ Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering, even to the point of being chained like a criminal, Paul says. But God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything. I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The Apostle Paul wants us to know that it is that kind of love that shapes his ministry for the Corinthian people and the other churches he started. Just as Christ endured the cross, Paul is saying, I endure whatever it takes for your sake. That is the nature of the love of 1 Corinthians 13. I've said this before, but it's, uh, the longer I pastor, the more it's true. I've done a lot of weddings. They're lovely. Um, I have the conviction the pastor is just a foil. He's just a part of the furniture because, you know, nobody notices him. I, I've literally, one of my favorite times, I got a call one time, a girl said, Pastor Andy, we, we've been praying for a long time, and we really believe you're the one that the Lord would have do our wedding. I, I said, well, when is it? And I told her the date. She told me the date, and I said, well, I'm out of town that weekend. Oh, do you know anyone else who can do it? Um, uh, the, the, the reality is pastors are, are, you know, we're kind of a part of the furniture in weddings. But, but they're still fun, especially young people when they get married, and, and, you know, they're just sloppy in love. I mean, they're just, it just, it's just, I mean, you can hardly breathe. The air is so thick with their love. I mean, it's so cute and sweet. And, and that's what we see in movies and chick flicks and all of that is that kind of ooey gooey love. I remember Julie and I, when we married, we were very young and, and we went to Arkansas for our, our anniversary. Our, our kids went to really nice places, but we were broke. And, and a family friend had a hotel room behind his house. And he said, if you come to Arkansas, I'll give it to you for $6 a night. And then he saw my car and he knocked it down to $4 a night. I'm not kidding. That's, that's the truth. And, 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 you know, we're dumb in love. And we're going all over Eureka Springs, Arkansas. And everybody says, you're newlyweds, aren't you? You know, and we said, how do they know? You know, uh, I mean, that's, that's a fun aspect of new couples, right? It's sweet and it's fun and it's beautiful and, and movies, you know, we, but you know what, what I've learned, who I've learned the most about love from is the older saints that have loved for decades and have cared for each other in illness and walked through heartbreak together. Because, because over time you realize all of that emotional and sweet stuff is, is fine. But real love, real love lasts. It endures. It doesn't fail. And, and many of my heroes are, are men and women at Grace who have cared for spouses as, as they've gone through horrible difficulties and been there day in and day out. Because that's the love that endures, right? And that, that's the love we should ultimately celebrate as well. Let's go to the next word, love never fails. Uh, the NIV says love never ends. So the word could be translated love never falls. It is, it is that that love that pass the test of time. And can I submit to you that 
this is the high point of 1 Corinthians 13. That as he's built this list, he started with the obvious givens, patient and kind, all of those that even your neighbors and your friends who don't know Jesus would readily accept. But now he comes to that characteristic that is the deal breaker for most of our society. Because it, it just doesn't quit. It just doesn't quit. It, it, is, it is that love that isn't just a feeling or an action today. It is that love rooted in a promise, a covenant, a commitment that reshapes everything about the lover's life. It is a love that ultimately comes from character, a word we don't use much anymore. Because it is character that says, this is what I am and this is what I'll be, and I'm going to be that no matter what the circumstances, right? And, and character, unfortunately, is something you don't see immediately. Um, when, when you have children and they get married, one of the things, Julie and I literally prayed for our children the night we got married. We prayed that God would, as he gave us, we didn't have any yet, by the way, I don't want to start a scandal. Um, uh, I saw a couple of expressions there and, and we didn't have any yet. It was a couple of years, three years, it was a while, okay? Simmer down. But we, we prayed that God would bless us with children and that he would bless them with spouses that would love Jesus and would be there for them. Because one of the things that's so hard is, is you don't know when you meet someone, right? The reality is people can fool you. They, they can seem to be that kind of love and then you, you get to know them over time and when things get hard, they change. Because it's, it's more than just how they respond on that date. It, it's a reflection of who they are in their core. It's character that gives that kind of love that never fails. And so the more we grow in Christ, the more our character is shaped by the love of Christ, the, the more we become people whose love is faithful no matter what the circumstances because we've experienced the faithfulness of God's love to us. And that is what creates the diamond-like quality of the love of 1 Corinthians 13 that is so hard and brilliant because it's rooted in who we've come to be in Christ so that, that we are faithful in our love no matter what the circumstances. We long for that from our spouse, right? But we long for it in our friendships. We long for it in our church. And a long, long ago, someone said to me, you want to have great friends? If you've been around me a long time, you know that I, I, I can actually, I think, build a whole theology around the word friend. Um, we men don't typically say, I love you to each other. You know, that's kind of a girl thing, you know, after you look cute. You know, you look cute. I love you. I've never said to any of my guy friends, you look cute. I love you. It just doesn't happen. But, 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 what, but what, we, 
we do use the word friend. And I've come to the conviction that because our society has done such a mess with the word love, that oftentimes we have a higher opinion of a true friend than we do someone who loves. Because we still have, have created this special category of what that friend is that the book of Proverbs describes as someone who sticks closer to a brother, right? That, that friend upon whom you can depend. And I think the essence of what God did for us for our salvation is he, he reached out and gave us the ability to be friends of God. Because it's a loyal love, a love rooted in his covenant, a love dependent on his faithfulness, not on ours. And the thing that we long for in our relationships in life is that kind of friendship. I, I t we, Julie and I, when we did a lot of premarital counseling, would say, you know, the great marriages are, are great friendships too. And, and in the course of your life, whether at your work or in your neighborhood or in your other associations, in what you're looking for is, is those people that are that kind of friend that their love endures and it doesn't fail. And can I suggest to you that's the ultimate thing we need in church? It's interesting that the Quakers call themselves friends because, because what we need in, in the body of Christ is a place where we love in that way that doesn't fail so that when we come here we know it's a safe place to be who we are even in all of our past failures. Even in all of our, isn't, isn't one of the core things that we long for in the body of Christ is, is a community that loves our friends. And the reason we long for it is God made us to long for that love because God longed to love us that way. Men and women, we too often accept so much less than what God has in store for us. C.S. Lewis said, we busy ourselves making mud pies when God is yearning for us to experience his glory. And when it comes to relationships, God, God longs for us to first of all experience the faithfulness of his love so that we then are free to love each other in that way and to create a community, a, a, a people characterized by this ferocious, ferocious committed love for each other so that when we show up, we know we're safe in spite of our flaws, in spite of our brokenness. And we're that way because that's the way he loves us. Can I submit to you that is the greatest, one of the greatest, most heartfelt needs any of us has. And you know how you create that community? You love that way. You don't wait for other people to do it. You love that way. Um, you take the first step. You embrace the one who's crying.
you accept the one who's broken. You uh, be there for the needy one. And you know why? Because we all are that way. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we struggle with that kind of love. It's not natural. It's not something we do easily. But we long for it so deeply. Lord, teach us to love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me tell you one illustration I forgot to tell. And, and I get to do this. What are you going to do, fire me? But this, this is an illustration I, I don't think I ever told until this weekend because it's one of those that's kind of sappy and, and the ladies all go, oh, and that's really uncomfortable to me. But before I met Julie, actually when I, in 1973, I was an intern here in college. I, no, you didn't hear the date right. I don't, you don't need to know how long ago it was. And, and I started dating a girl and we dated for two years. And before I met Julie, she dumped me for other guys, taller ones, I'm sure. And, 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 and soon after I met Julie and we started dating and 13 months later we were married because I'd never dated anyone shorter than me. It was a great experience. And, and, and as I was going through, you know how you do when you break up with someone, you go through and you throw away all the stuff, you know, all the, all the you give back what was any value and then you throw away all, and, and I found this plaque that my girlfriend had painted for me because we we're both believers. She's a great lady, I, I, you know not dissing on her in any way. But, but the plaque took 1 Corinthians, because she knew how much I cared about 1 Corinthians 13, and it, it paint, she painted very carefully on it all the attributes. Love is patient, love is kind, not jealous, not an actor, unbecomingly. And she left off, love never fails. Which was prophetic, right? <laughs> right? And so I was going through it, and I saw that, and I, and I showed it to Julie because she knew her. We were friends, and I, I threw it away, and it was no big deal. I get married, and, and you, most of you all don't know this. The previous pastor, Mike Fisher, was a dear friend, and, but we were going to have Julie's lifelong pastor do the wedding. And, and the day of the wedding, he, the pastor called and said, I can't do it. My mother-in-law's maybe dying. We've got to leave. So I called Fisher and said, what are you doing today? He said, nothing. I said, well, yeah, you are. You're going to do our wedding. So Fisher showed up on Friday night, did the rehearsal, and did our wedding. And if you look at all the pictures of our wedding, Mike is laughing at me because I am petrified. If you know me, I rarely am scared. I should be scared more than I am. It's just not the way I work, except for the day of my wedding. I was absolutely, they had to lead me through the church. I was just a idiot. I was so frightened. And so every picture has Mike Fisher laughing at me, uh, uh, every one of them, and God will someday judge him. And, and so we're, one of the pictures, we're all standing there, and uh, Julie says, look at your wedding ring. And I pulled it out, and she'd had engraved in it, love never fails. See, that's why I don't tell the story. Uh, it's, it's just, it's just... But that captured it, right? That captured it. Because she had the character that I knew I could always count on her. 
And, and it also has challenged me throughout our marriage because I knew that's who she was. And the question is, will I live up to her standard? Men, men and women, that kind of love has huge risk. You get your heart broken. Uh, it is it, 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 scary at times, but it's the way God loves us. And it's the way he calls us to love others. Love never fails. Okay, now you can sing.